welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers. I am your host, Mike Burge, and here today I am joined by the lovely... Timothy Kelly. Timothy Kelly. Tim to friends. Tim. Timmy. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, today we're going to be talking about two movies, but like really one in particular, but there's... We're going to be talking about train spotting, but because the new uh, train spotting, T2 train spotting just came out, me and uh, Tim went to go see that about a week ago, stewed on it for a little bit, and rewatched the original. And now mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Make what sure makes did. the first one so good, and what makes the second one, in my opinion, pretty worthy of coming out. I'd say worthy. I had an amazing time at it. Uh, you know, I had read some reviews first, and thought maybe I'd have that reaction at times watching it. I had the reaction like, maybe I loved it just because... I was so happy to be with those characters again. Yeah. And like, but... That's like ha- the reaction you got with the on it, I think it was really a great sequel. It really was, and yeah. It's just a great movie all around. I mean, and jumping yeah. into it too, yeah, we're going to have spoilers for Train Spotting and T2 Train Spotting pretty much right off the bat starting from this. So if you're here to just oh, like... So we're going to spoil things from uh, the start. Oh, we're just going to go for it. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, so if you haven't seen Train Spotting 2 just yet and you're mean to do it... Uh, Definitely go do that first before listening to this because we're going to dive okay, pretty much yeah. into everything. We're mainly going to be covering the first one, but from time to time and discussing things about the first one, we're probably just like very fluidly just going to move on over to the second one. Sure. And so, uh, really, the first one that I wanted, the first thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the soundtrack okay. in the first Train Spotting, yeah. like Train Spotting, the first movie, 1996. Directed by Danny Boyle, written by John Hodge, based on a book by Urban Welsh, which you actually said that uh, it's like uh, the, the the original novel is like written in like... I took a look at it. Like yeah, a Scottish uh, form of Gaelic the, or something yes, like that, where it's yeah. like... Hard to understand for an English speaker. Right, like, and I don't know exactly what that, it almost, what that language is yeah. called, but that's kind of weird. It's kind of like funky that yeah. they would do it like that. Only read the introduction, but in a way it made me want to read it even more. It has right. this like buried little nuggets in there a little meaning that uh that i recently found out like looking into the movie shakespeare or something right uh looking into the movie and i i found that uh like a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff when they were making the first one that apparently because remember we were talking about in t2 how Mm -hmm. they when they first start out we're getting subtitles for a bunch of the characters like spud Mm -hmm. and um and begbie who have very thick like like poverty stricken scottish accents like these are very low slum level uh, accents or it's just like maybe that's just how some people talk over there mm-hmm. and it's just like oh my goodness but I feel like because of the attitude and like the raw nature of their characters and the lifestyle that they come from there's kind of this aggressive attitude mm-hmm. that's added on to it almost like a slang um, they had subtitles coming up to explain what yeah. it is that they're actually saying um, and I on and, screen and, and a tricky cool on font, screen like tricky during fun, the movie yeah, yeah. in a fun editing way because Danny Boyle loves visuals and stuff like yeah. that and Eventually, those go away as you become used to how yeah. they're talking. And I found that in the original one, the same problem happened. In the very beginning, audiences were getting, like American audiences were kind of like not being able to understand what people were saying. And so they went in. And they, then after and the fact? After, yeah, after and then the they, first couple screenings of it? Yeah, like they couldn't, nobody could figure out what was yeah. going on. Yeah. And so they went back and they re-recorded the first 20 minutes of dialogue from all of the actors. Okay. 
and had them speak a little bit more clearer to slowly ease the audiences in and then like yep. went to the original stuff and that's kind of like what they did in the second one where yep. they show you the subtitles this is what this person's saying and then slowly as you get used to the cadence of it they kind mm -hmm. of stop using the subtitles as much and then like they come in and it's just like because like Begbie is very it's hard to understand in the beginning when we of came movie. out of theater I, I asked you like did that annoy you and I had forgotten they did that in the first one too yeah and <clears throat> I would recommend watching the first one whenever you watched it putting the subtitles on because it's just it's great there is some stuff that you miss in there yeah and while we were watching the second one I was slightly annoyed by it because it comes in right away it's with um uh jeez what's his name of course. Which one? Renton? Uh, Mark? Not, not Renton. Uh, Sick Boy. No. The craziest Spud. of them all. Begbie. There we are. We got it. Fourth try. Begbie. Four characters. Begbie, of course. He's in the meeting with his lawyer, and they put it on, and it, was, it just felt so good, and I was like, oh, this is kind of distracting. So I tried to focus just on Begbie, mm -hmm. and sure enough, I didn't understand a thing he was saying. <laughs> so anyway, so it takes a minute to get over, but yeah, worth a watch with the subtitles, mm -hmm. and it, uh Oh, by yeah. the way, too, I completely forgot to mention, because it's over drinkers, our drink of choice, what is it today, Tim? We've got uh, Moscow Mules. Moscow Mules. <laughs> a little bit of vodka, some ginger yep. beer, and some lime juice, and, mm -hmm. uh, and there we are. And cheers to you, Diane. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, keep it going. Cheerio. Mm -hmm. uh, ginger beer is... It's kicking it. It's a it. ginger <clears throat> beer. It's kicking it. Uh, so, yeah, the soundtrack yep. from the first one uh, is considered one of the main reasons a lot of people like think of it as being such a... Uh, a classic film is that it kind of took that that mid '90s uh, approach that a lot of different like this was kind of um, England's answer to um, like films like Pulp Fiction and Goodfellas. Okay. Like this was kind of like them being like, we can have this kind of edgy, crazy edited. Was it right around the same year as Pulp Fiction? Like uh, Pulp Fiction was '94, I, I believe. Yeah. So, so this was, was kind of like you know yeah, they decided to yeah, make yeah. it, they made it, and they released it within two years. Okay. Um, and you know, there's, especially with Pulp Fiction, there's a lot of similarities between, yeah. you know, you've got your cast of characters and it, it kind of happens in this odd out of time yeah. thing where it kind of like goes back on itself, starts off with a chase and then moves on and just kind of keeps ringing around. And, um, like that's originally the, uh, the monologue that starts at the beginning, like choose life. That whole monologue yeah. was supposed to happen halfway through the movie. But then they decided to put it in the beginning and then like, which is one of the most classic things about that movie is that it starts off right with this gigantic monologue, which mm -hmm. back then sounded so like scathing and fresh and new. And now when you listen to it 21 years later, it's kind of uh, almost like childish, almost like this kind of fleeting like that's something that's that a so child would think. The, the choose, choose life, life. That, whole, that whole Yeah, session. that whole thing. Yeah, it's it, like. And they it's kind of childish, I guess, that. in a good way though, because right. they are children. Especially Very now, much. in hindsight, we say. And and then they talk about like, that, like being yeah. that thing, and which is a moment that I love and a moment that I hate in the second one when they revisit that choose life. Okay. And you get that it's much dun, quicker. You know, that, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, the thing that made the movie yeah. so popular twenty one years ago. She brings it mm -hmm. up like, "What's choose life?" And it's just well, like, that's kind dun, of just dun. something you have to accept watching the second one too is you know, and I think a lot of people were turned off by it but that whole revisiting the nostalgia the, the, the absolutely nostalgia aspect and they really get over that so you, that was the only time the nostalgia got to you when they that was the only time where it seemed out of place uh because you know they really wanted to just do another version of the choose life 
monologue. Yeah. And they did it, and everything that he said like makes sense from Mark Renton's point of view. But specifically this time, it only makes sense from his point of view because it's him saying things that not necessarily everybody yeah. would agree with. And the original monologue is a lot like that too, but it was more... Uh, it was more like um, characteristic of the time. It was more like, you know, mid-90s. You know, this, again, this is a pre-9-11 What's the most world. characteristic of their age and mindset, too? But right. I see how and like, and, and, they, yeah, yeah. and like the culture that they come from yeah. and that kind of uh, just like rebellious by nature. You know, like just because like they're just like it, it's being a rebel for the sake of yeah. being a rebel. I think they had to do it. Uh, they had to bring it back. They, they had to, yeah, yeah, and, and it's back, like, and again, like the, throwbacks back. That's probably one of the worst it. things and that I hate. Also, about I the think movie. it's one of the things. Well, I'm surprised by that because with Danny Boyle, you kind of have to accept all these things, like subtitles on the screen, mm-hmm. or so many different things. Like there's the scene in the second one where he's uh, saving Spud, and he runs over and slides underneath him right before it and saving mm-hmm. his life with whole other situations going on. There's certain. I don't know what to call them, like editing choices. Mm-hmm. They just, he reaches, he swings. And you kind of get used to that style and anything goes. I know that the choose life section is a little more sacred than just all these other things, but yeah. than throwbacks, but I, I don't know. I'll have to see it again, but I, I wasn't too upset. Well, that's like, that. I saw it twice. It and was quick. It was, it was, you know, that was, was the like one thing I remember in a restaurant getting, you know. Yeah. Like when I walked into the second time, I was really excited to listen, to listen and watch everything again. But then I was like, the one thing I was really nervous about was like listening to oh, that that's monologue right, again. So that was the second time for you. Yeah. Cause I went to go see it. So worse the first. second time in your mind. No, better. Like, better. the film okay. as a whole was better the second time. But that, that scene, scene playing, yeah. was like, yeah. it really just comes out of left field. And the only way that it's instigated for that to happen is because the character Veronica, the new character, who's one, like, absolutely great yeah. in the movie. That actress is phenomenal. Yeah. It's like pretty yeah. much the only solid um, female character. All the other female yeah. characters from Begbie's Wife are the ones that we've known before. Spud's ex and uh, Were you upset Diane. That was the scene that won her over? <laughs> That one who over. That was the scene where she like kind of comes out of that character. Well, I mean, not the character. It was a great performance all around. Yeah. But that's the moment where, she, you know, he, he wins her over. She's like this stern, like, kind of above Renton, oh, sick I, boy. Uh-huh. She's like a, not only a great performance, but like Veronica. put in there. You're Veronica, Veronica. Veronica. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just She's in most, control of everything. Yeah. yeah. And she in really, control. Exactly. she does, she, yeah. she pulls the Mark Renton at the yeah. end with Spud. Yeah. You know, like, she gets Spud to, like, help her out and actually screw all these guys out of money. And now they all feel the burn of what it was. And by that point, though, they actually realize that it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, uh, there, there's no point to it. Like, mm-hmm. it's, their time has come and gone. And Veronica is the youth and the young one and the, the one that's smart enough to be mm-hmm. able to, to do it. I got you every train of thought, though. Oh, dude, we just keep thing. going off of it. So, yeah. I think the first thing I brought up about ten minutes ago was the soundtrack. Yeah, let's get back so to the, the soundtrack. The soundtrack to, to the first one. one, you know, we yeah. got Lou Reed, we got Iggy Pop. Yep. Um, we got uh, what are the guys that write that song? Um, like slipping or like that one that's towards the end. That's uh, everybody always loves the. Oh, well, perfect. Well, you said Lou Reed. Yeah, um, there's the perfect yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the second one, they do remixes of like all these older songs yeah, from the as original much as soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. I only know the you know, yeah, the yeah, names like the, of base, the artists, basic ones. ones. Yeah, but like the soundtrack is very good. Like there, you know, there's there's some. Temptation, New Order mm-hmm. in there, and um, which is the song in the second one? He's uh, he goes home, goes into his room for the first time, drops the, the needle, drops the needle. That's Lust and, for Life. Okay, 
That's the Iggy Pop song? That's the Iggy Pop song, okay. yeah. yeah. Because it's the entire idea in the yeah. second one is when he first gets home is he can't face the music. Yeah. And he's coming home to face the music and trying to figure something out. And the very first thing we see him do is like go into his old room, look at his old stuff, find where his old heroin stash was, you know, smell it. And he smiles, which I think is like a super awesomely mm-hmm. sweet moment where he, it's, just, oh, like, he just likes to I've smell it. I not talk to you about this. What did he find when he goes back in the room? That was an old stash? That was just an old thing of heroin, right? I figured it was, but I don't know. I also, it was in, the, in the con- in the continuity yeah. of everything, like how did yeah. that get there? Oh, I guess I figured just kind of naively that he left his home a sober boy. <laughs> yeah, like I mean? so, like what I was that know. doing there? Anyway, just uh, kind of rung that bell. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah that yeah, happened. Yeah. What was up with that? But we like, back know, on the dro- record, he drops the needle, needle and we yeah. literally get. I think it's like a note and a half of yeah. lust for life. We just get that. And yeah. he just pulls it up, yeah. and we go through the whole movie, and he learns and changes a little bit, and it ends with him in that room, yeah. finally dropping the needle. And my interpretation of that was he claimed that, uh, and that's what coming back to the soundtrack, like the soundtrack is very important to everything, mm-hmm. especially in the second one because they are using nostalgia moments, nostalgic moments from the first mm-hmm. one, using the music in these remixed versions. Like at the very beginning, we get a re a reshot version of the soccer scene from the first one where yep. they do the opening credits and now we're With seeing pretty much the same perfect stuff yep. uh, and it's a per- it's yep. a piano version of Lou Reed's Perfect Day yep. and we see them all as younger kids and we realize that these guys have been friends since yep. they were little kids including Begbie and that There's puts a an flashback that puts an entirely different yep. uh aspect to their characters mm-hmm. in um in uh in the first one like i when i first watched the first one i always i think the first one's a masterpiece Mm -hmm. i think the first one is one of the best movies that's ever been made it's near perfect and i say near perfect because it's so hard to say it's perfect because you can always find something yeah but it is like you're you are hard pressed to find a movie that is as original Mm-hmm. and entertaining and fun and dark and has sad. so much to it's, say it's, it's very sad it's, it's, and it's got a lot to say like everybody said back in 96 when it came out and people still think so because all these people came back in uh, came out of the woodworks when the second one got announced mm-hmm. they were like that movie glorifies drugs and yeah. it's always been a bad thing like yeah. you should want and the movie in no way glorifies drugs it says yeah. that drugs are good but it also says they're bad so we get to see these characters at highs and we get to see them at lows and the lows are way more intense than the highs and that's yeah. kind of the point you know he says mark renton says in the first one um he's like people forget about like the fun of it it's got to be yeah, fun, otherwise we wouldn't like, fucking uh, do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody forgets about that. And mm-hmm. it's all about... Like, we're not mo- stupid. He yeah, says, exactly. Yeah, 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 we're yeah, not fucking like stupid. Or yeah. maybe they are. I mean, yeah. they kind of are. Like, they're just... Yeah, right nim- after the cheese They're nimwits life, that are addicted uh, sequence, to things. By the way. Yeah. And that's like, they deal with... Uh, it's not just heroin addiction that they deal with in the first one. In the second one, it's more about dealing with midlife crisis and the choices you've made in the past mm-hmm. and come to terms with it and friendship mm-hmm. And uh, finding yourself and like finding out what you want to do. It's not so much as finding out what you want to do with the rest of your life. It's finding a a level of okayness with what you already have done. And that's kind of like a midlife crisis. That's like, have I gotten everything done that I wanted to? And the answer is no to just about everybody on the planet. And it's about these like sorry sacks that have just been like in and out of the system, whether it's prison or addiction Mm -hmm. or rehabilitation or, or just crime, like sick, bo- sick boys just constantly committing crimes yeah. all over the place. And it's about them coming to terms with that. That's the thing I was sort of thrown off with the sick boy. He's almost, 
a weird evil caricature it feels like in the second yeah. one well, but then you realize it's actually how he is re, you know? yeah it's rewatching like, the first it, one they, sick these characters boy take you by storm we remember sick boy as yeah. sick boy before the death of the baby yeah. in train spotting after the baby dies in train spotting they the Renton literally says he's like after the baby died nobody knew who the who the who's who the dad was mm-hmm. and he says and I don't know if this has led to insinuate that all of them had slept with the girl because he says it wasn't my baby. Okay. It wasn't that baby. It wasn't that. I don't, and I don't know if that's what they're insinuating or if they're just insinuating they didn't know who's, who the father was. But they find out that Sick Boy was the father yeah. because of how he reacts. And uh, he okay. says yeah. afterwards uh, that after that something inside Sick Boy changed. His idea and level of cynicism seemed to drop. That's funny. I kind of want to watch the performance again because I, I right. actually yeah, don't you really remember need this. To. And then, like, because Sick Boy in the beginning kind of Sick has Boy, an innocence about him, as I remember flips, it. He yeah. flips, and all yeah. of a sudden he shows up, and he's just a constant scammer because yeah. he's dropped this level of cynicism where, like, sometimes he says, You've got it, then you lose it, and that's it. Like, yeah. you, you get to the top, and then he you says lose this it in the, in the second, first one. In the first one. Okay. Yeah, and he talks about, uh, I can't remember, he uses an artist, a musician as a, I know he talks about like Bowie, and I think he also talks about Lou Reed a little bit, and he says like, like, you're going to hit a peak, and then that's it. And then you just go down from there. And he says in the first one, I don't know why I don't remember this, but yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's and so after the, after thing, the baby, like, after the yeah. baby dies from okay. neglect, yeah. he drops this level of cynicism and in a way, it pushes him to want to do these scams because he's like, he's no longer cynical about the aspirations of trying. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, that's where the drug deal comes from in the first one. He's like, I've got this idea. And it's like, that's what like this idiot heroin dealer, and you want to try and like, he's you think that this is going to work game. out? And yeah. he's like, why not? You know, and, and that's yeah. what, that's where we pick up with him 21 years later is he's still just doing these random, this, this random scheming, yeah. like blackmailing and trying to turn like the bar into a brothel and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and so it's uh, in the first, so the the second one is very much about um, finding yourself and coming to terms and being okay with who you are and the decisions you've made. The second one it's we've talked like, about, so you, you, Sick Boy comes at you, and all the characters you're kind of digging back into them, and by the end you realize they all are doing the same thing. Oh yeah, like you know, Renton shows up looking sharp, looking better, looking healthy, but so yeah, maybe that's why Sick Boy came uh, seemed so uh, overly intense to me when uh, watching the second one. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, where were we going? No, 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 yeah, and I uh, like that uh, in the first one. The first one is very much about addiction. Yeah, oh, that's right. Duh. But it's um, it's not just about heroin addiction. It is uh, about pretty much addiction as a whole. Food. Yeah. First off, is so, taken as an addi- as an addictive like the way that uh, Spud and mm-hmm. uh, Mark drink that 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 uh, smoothie and they just drink it down quick like it's a hit and mm-hmm. like to the point where they yeah. both have like brain. <laughs> they freezes. can't do anything right. They're, right, they're, they can't do anything, and they're, they're just constantly. Yeah, they're addicted. Which is to one everything. of the things I like about you. Kind of were hitting on it before. Like it seems like a heroin movie. It seems like an addiction movie, but it's a. Uh, Jeez, totally lost my train no, of thought. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you, you bring me in here, get that's me all the drunk. Whole, that's the whole point. And now I'm going to have to retrace my steps uh-huh. and try and find you're, something. You're here. working out drunk brain muscles right drunk. now that you're not used to. That's well, the whole I mean, point. By now, I should be kind of used Whoa. to it. 
But uh, it's also yeah. like the, like one of my back. favorite concepts on it is um, like the addiction mentality of sex. The, mm-hmm. the there's this great scene in the first one where um, we see uh, Mark go home with Diane, who he's just met, uh, played by Kelly McDonald, mm-hmm. who is Scottish. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought she was Irish. I guess I assume that too. Boardwalk Empire. She plays known. like an yeah. Irish character, yeah. and like I thought, I thought she was Irish, and they just kind of put her in there. But actually, no. Just Scottish. She was mm-hmm. 19 when they made the movie, playing a 14-year-old. Movie came out on her birthday when she was 20 on her 20th birthday. Wow. And um, he goes home with Diane. Yep. And Tommy, poor Tommy, goes home with his girlfriend. Yep. And Spud goes home with his girlfriend. And we get to see the buildup of all of them going home. And there's the there's the. So this is like third of the way through the movie, and it's like. By the way, before I forget, I want to mention because it's right. It's during this scene. Go for it. One of the most hilarious things to me is seeing Mark Renton in that tiny yellow shirt, oh, that's one of the best, dancing yeah. at the disco, smoking a cigarette, gazing out onto the floor. And his libido just has trying returned. Trying to get he's in there. Like, Here we yeah. go. We that's, find it's one of the times he's trying to get sober. He's really getting into it. Uh, just great screenshot. Anyway, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, and Hello. I love too whenever they. Uh, Whenever he goes clean, yeah. there's three moments. There's three times he goes clean. And the first one, he's got a shit. And the second mm-hmm. time, he's got a fuck. And the third <laughs> time, he's got to get his ass a job. Yes. And that's kind of like this, these these things of just like, you got a shit, you got a fuck, and you got to work. Man, and that's sure, everything yeah. outside of the fun of life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, these are these By the are way, very that, perceptive on both counts. We should go back to... I, of course, I didn't realize this, but it's almost so obvious. It's great. He had to face the music. He couldn't face the music. Mm-hmm. Nice catch, by the way. But yeah. this is another one. He had to shit. He had to fuck, and then he had to get a job. Brilliant. Nice catch. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like just the day to day. It's yeah. the American dream, the Scottish dream, Scotland dream. In the beginning, he lays out one of the many, many hilarious things. Yeah. I didn't realize it came so early, but it starts right out him trying to get sober, laying out the ingredients of what it's going to take, oh, boarding up his door, scene and within too. sixty seconds, he's now I just need demo- one more, more hit. hit. He's locked himself yep. and literally boarded <laughs> and himself in the apartment. The it's oh, really yeah. good stuff, yeah. And I also love that first scene, like like it's very early in the movie when he climbs into that toilet. Yes. Um, because he accidentally shits out the suppository. You know what you're dealing with early in the movie because yeah, it's yeah. like the most gross. Like and I have really to look is. away. It's like it's, which is oh, another theme in the movie. The movie, like you said, has everything. It's got mm-hmm. all sorts of. It's everything. A straight up metaphor every with that genre. It's like in a way, it's kind of it's got sports in it too. It's got everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in that same vein, it's got those sickening. I have to look away right now. Yeah. Like, I'm like pretty seasoned. That I think I can handle him, it, but this is fucking him gross. crawling into that toilet yeah. to get the suppositories. Yeah. Being in the first 15 minutes of the movie is very important because it shows these are the these are the lengths it that these people down. will go yeah. to to get that high. They yeah. will literally crawl into yep. a toilet, and, he, and once he crawls in, all of a sudden it becomes serene. Mm-hmm. and peaceful and happy there's like angel voices and it's blue and I think one of the funniest things in any movie ever <laughs> top 10 funniest things I would put it on a list immediately is when he gets them and he's underwater and it's Ewan McGregor's screaming cheerful voice <laughs> underwater like yeah it's a fucking godsend <laughs> and as he swims back up is one of the funny the mm-hmm. look on his face is so good um but yeah the addiction that sex scene where mm-hmm. we go through um Tommy, Mark, and Spud all mm-hmm. having different kinds of sex. Mark is having 
uh, confusing sex where it's like, is it going to happen? What's going on? I just met this girl. Tommy is having Ends sex with his longtime girlfriend. to work out. Yeah. Right. And Tommy's Tommy has sex. replaced any addiction he's had yeah. with sex. Like now they just have sex all yeah. the time. And Spud has been complaining about not having sex for a long time because <laughs> his girlfriend has been putting him on like a distance, like trying to get him to respect mm-hmm. their relationship. But now he's and like it all starts. It's all these characters having this like sex, whether it's mm-hmm. amazing or not. And they all end, end horribly. Yep. The high is attained mm-hmm. through the act or even just the thought of the act. And then the downfall mm-hmm. is Mark finds out that Diane is fucking 14 years old, mm-hmm. 14 years 14. old um, school girl. Horrible, yep. horrible. But she's so good in this movie. It should have been the best moment of his life, and, and it just like it, it just yeah, completely find, gets he finds destroyed. That he really is just a bad. Person. Completely gets There's destroyed. So many, like, <laughs> Spud shits himself. Yeah, can't even get it up. He's passed out. Not only shits, shits himself, himself, but and then gets the shit all over the family <laughs> after having shit their bed. Yep. yep. And then Tommy, in one of the most disgusting things to ever happen in a movie, can't find the videotape of mm-hmm. him and his girlfriend that they record because they want to watch it while they're having sex. Mm-hmm. And he can't Turns find it be because the most severe Mark has the co- already taken it mm-hmm. and replaced it with a soccer they, so match. So they want to watch the video they made together while they had mm-hmm. sex they can't find it. And this seems hilarious. And, this dis- and it and is it's, hilarious. It's hilarious, but you pointed this out yeah. the other day, like, it really... <laughs> That's the start of like just yeah. destroying the end, the Tommy's life. The, the yeah. one friend that Mark's mm-hmm. got that's like always got his back. Mm-hmm. He never lies. He never the cheats. The one guy who sort of got his shit together. He's got really... his shit totally together. Yep. Works out. He's got a good, healthy relationship. An, an example to the rest of them in some weird and way. And he just, yep. for no other reason than him and Sick Boy just watching it on the couch, yeah. which is so just this like. Is, look, it takes it full circle. So it's horrifying enough. His girlfriend leaves him, blows up on him because he lost his tape. And then, I don't know if it's right after that. might be the next scenes. Some, sometime soon after you see, you know, Sick Boy and Renton must have known about this. And just oh, let it go. Dude. You're like, I'm not giving the tape back. I'm not admitting that fault. There's literally a yeah. scene right before, right when Tommy is about to ask Renton for, like, go get me drugs, I have money. Mm-hmm. He says, it's all that fucking tape, man. It's that fucking tape. He says that to Rent Mark. And yeah. Mark is just getting back into heroin after, like, kicking it that mm-hmm. first time. And he, he could say right something, before, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say a fucking thing. And when his just like, so-called uh, friend or one of his best friends, his life is falling apart. That's as why I think it's this. very mm-hmm. important that Sick Boy brings that up mm-hmm. to Mark yep. in the second one when he says, you know, when they get into that thing where they both end up using it again for the first time in 20 yeah. years. Okay, and they bring um, the tape back up. And he, when Sick he Boy brings up, he's like, that's the like, whole reason. You think I'm a bad person? You're a terrible person, too. Look what mm-hmm. you did to Tommy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I guess Sick Boy yeah. actually doesn't bring up the tape because technically Sick Boy was a part of that, too. Yeah. You know, because the look on their faces when they're watching it, just like, it's, it's literally like watching a soccer game. Yeah. Like, they could care less. Yeah, it's just does. like, well, we just, like... we just wanted to check it out. And they ruin Tommy's life. Yep. They just ruin it. I, I feel think there's sick, a moment Tommy. of envy, too, there, when they're sitting there watching. You're like, oh, this is kind of nice. I'm mm-hmm. not even, like, And then I think this. straight from there, it cuts to, uh, it cuts to Tommy and his girlfriend waiting outside the still unopened video store. To see if yeah, that's because right. they're trying to, to get in the video, there. Like that happens at some point. I'm not sure if it's immediate. I think yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's, it's so whole, sad. Yeah. And she's just sitting there, like shivering, scared, <laughs> and he's like pacing. Well, the first time you watch it, it it's oh, sad and God. uncomfortable. But at that point, the first time you watch it, you don't realize how sad it's about. And that's yeah. that's yeah. the charm of train spotting. Really, is that it? Like it's all these really dark, despicable moments, but it's thrown at you in such an electric way 
that you well, can't help but be and entertained that, by it. That just obvious thing too that you learn. Like like I said, coming into this thing, I'm just so happy to be with the characters again. They're also mm-hmm. interesting. They're funny. They're charming. But at that moment, or many moments, you're slowly realizing, oh my god, these are terrible people. These are terrible people. They're just well. I don't want to put it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously they have redeeming values, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're just so that much fun. Quite, like, that and that's right what makes there. the second one work so well. Twenty-one years later, is like you just jump right back into these characters. Like mm-hmm. one, the one person that I really didn't expect to pull it off, and he's probably the best actor out of all of them, was Robert Carlyle because Robert Carlyle was Robert lightning Carlyle. in yes. a bottle in the first one like it's one of the best performances mm-hmm. ever like he's out of nowhere just like you know and so like Begbie's whole thing is he doesn't do drugs mm-hmm. he does people he's addicted yes. to violence yeah and there's also like that whole thing he's probably the biggest hypocrite of them all which is saying something because sick boy and mark are huge hypocrites well, there's just different varieties. It's of different varieties, yeah. But he's the most. Uh, the Begbie's consequences are the like, biggest with Begbie. Begbie's when we're first introduced to his character. Yeah. Begbie's yeah. saying he's like, "No way would I put that shit in my body." Yeah. While he's oh, smoking a cigarette and yeah. like drinking Drink, beer and just like doing yeah. nothing at all for anybody, and then you know we get that big like beer scene where he throws the glass over. Mm-hmm. And like break, and like he just goes down there because he just wants to start a fight because he's addicted to violence. Which is kind of you go like. One of my things with the second one was, I guess I was saying this about all the characters, but Bagby, I felt like, was, especially towards the end, like, a little too much to handle. Like, this guy's completely off the rails, almost to a point where it's unbelievable. Well, I mean... But if you trace it back to that moment, right. when he throws the glass overhead, over the balcony, onto the ground, and just smashes it over, and then starts a bar fight... Mm-hmm. He's sick. He's nuts. He's yeah, completely that's, nuts. That's addicted his to violence. Addiction. Yeah. And when he gets it's to the, do it for personal reasons, yeah. that makes it even more mm-hmm. engaging. And it's like, mm-hmm. and also like Robert Which Carlyle kind of, has said that when he played Begbie yeah. in the first one, he was playing Begbie with the idea that it was a man who was closeted, who was gay oh. and didn't want to admit it and was acting out in to shield unbeknownst that. to Danny Boyle unbeknownst <laughs> that's amazing that's how he did it and then when Irvin Welsh found out about that who wrote the the novel mm-hmm. he said and, and Begbie's character in the novel was originally written as a very tall like tall big dude mm-hmm. like hulking and he said like that is exactly how I wrote Begbie Wow. I always had the intention that he was closeted that's what that and I don't which is a theme that comes back very At much the so. end, you assume, so he's having trouble performing with his wife, mm-hmm. he ends up getting Viagra, which leads to one of the best scenes I've seen in a long time with the square off between Renton and Begbie in the bathroom stalls. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing. That's a great But anyway, yeah. going back, so that went over my head, but he's having trouble, so there's this repressed homosexual undertone to Begbie's character. Very much, is, yes. and, and repressed and... Closeted might be the wrong word because, like, you know, the actor can choose to play the character in any way that they want. But at the end of the day, 
you know there's something deeply wrong. I there's always some, chalked it up to something he had, like, they kind of say that, he's got a bad father right. in the second something one. Something that Begbie, but, because yeah. of who he is, would never yeah. accept that about yeah. himself. Ever. Like, he would never be able to come to the terms. taking out on the rest right. of the world. Yeah, exactly. He's just going to take it out on everybody yeah. else. And that's that over-the-top showmanship of manliness and, like, starting fights and being in control of every situation. That's why he's such a... It's so cool in the, in, in the first mm-hmm. one, you notice it. But in the second one, it is just right there, like how right tiny he is yeah. compared to everybody. And he just fills yeah. up the screen. Yeah. Like when he shows up with Spud and Veronica and Spud's like, Veronica, you've got to get out of here. He's here. And she's like, who's here? And he's just like, meh. Yeah. And he just like walks in. And he's like, oh, Veronica, what a beautiful name. <laughs> it's like, uh, you're just like Robert Carlyle just in 1996 was an brilliant. amazing actor yeah. up on the rise in all these amazing things. And he has only had 21 years to just become one of the greatest actors that's working today. And he really he, fucking he is. On a, on a, on, again, he to come back to that movie. top 10 <laughs> list, on a list of top 10 male actors working today, mm-hmm. he'd be on the 10. Mm-hmm. If it was male and female, he might be pushed off because we got a lot of really good actors and actresses out there. So, But top 10 male actors working today, yeah. he'd kick ass on the 10. He'd probably be in the top five of four, like... Uh, um, European he's violently like good he's at acting. So <laughs> Twenty eight so weeks later, I think they start right after that little montage in the beginning with the soccer playing and the piano. I think he's the is it he's the first scene where it's like you're out of the beginning credits, and he's walking through the prison about to meet his. Uh, and it kind of just shows. I mean, and T two, he's kind of the main event. You we know what get, I mean? Uh, like, and I also want to get back to the scene you mentioned to me. I think when we came out of the movie. Which really, it landed going back to that little point about how these are bad people, I said. Like, the interpersonal relationships, when they meet at the, you know, there's a bunch of kegs around the middle, like a basement of uh, Sick Boy's bar. Mm-hmm. And Sick Boy tells Begbie that Renton's back. That is the scene to watch so for Begbie and Carlisle. And they just keep he using the, 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 the word cunt. 20 years, like, cunt. a cunty cunt. smile, cunt. a cunty face. And Begbie lights up. He knows exactly yeah. who he's talking about. He's like, oh. It's and great. Kind of, he, upon thinking about it and thinking about that scene, when you think of Ewan McGregor and his character in, in Renton, he is. He's got a cunty face. Yeah, he's, he's just a this piece little of shit. We're weasel. all rooting for him. He's, he's the weasel. main yeah, character, right, right. so to speak. We're all rooting we, for him. We talked about it on the way back guy. from the movie, from yeah. watching the second one. It's like, this movie really does solidify from the first one how cowardly yeah. Mark Renton really is. Like yeah. He's the biggest coward of all of them. Because at least Sick Boy and Spud and especially Begbie, they face the problems mm-hmm. that are presented to them head on. You know, Sick Boy does some like weird well, criminal in a way, shit. Randy did that too. Like, and Spud has no to. shame. Spud's like that fucking happened. And Begbie kind of just like he's like, I'm the one that's in charge here. Everybody fucking listen to me. It doesn't matter if what you think I did is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not snap out of it. Here we go. Mark's you mean really, in context with the second one? So have it with context all the, the second one. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, having everything happen. Yeah. When Mark's really the only one who's constantly he's running a, yeah. from things. He's even yeah. running from his own addiction in a way Which that a none of the other ones are. The thing they move where he's running on the treadmill. Right. The awesome. Yeah, Mark runs yeah. from his addiction, and that's why it's so uh, ironic that the w- thing that he says got him off of addiction was running, mm-hmm. and that's his whole thing. Is he constantly every time Begbie shows up, he fucking runs. He just runs all the way to the end of the movie when Begbie shows up. He, he runs up the stairs. He's like, I'm out of here. And leaves his friends behind, just like he did mm-hmm. at the end of the first one. And there's these loops 
and these folds that just happen continuously. They're on, they're on, yeah, that plane just tripping under, over each other, over mm -hmm. and over again. Yeah. And oh, it's, it's brilliant, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, but I wanted to get back to back addictive, on the scene. addictive stuff. Yep. I wanted, to get, I wanted to get, right. All right, so let's just get it out there. So to be able to talk about this movie, it feels a little disingenuous not to say that I have had, as everyone has addictions, but I've had this particular addiction. Really? And I feel like it's uh, going back kind of to the beginning and how you were saying it was labeled as a um, exploitation of the addiction and glorifying the addiction. It's glorifying drug I feel use. the exact opposite way. I feel like it does it such a beautiful justice without overplaying that card. Because it's more, it's about choose life. And that's what this whole saga is about. Mm -hmm. And I think it properly puts heroin addiction, which has, which has this enormous stigma in society, which is like, you know, it's a... Uh, it is gross, obviously, right. but having been in that place, it's no more gross than anything else. And that's kind of your last refuge as an addict to be like, ah, fuck it. But really life and what this whole movie kind of ends up being about is like, that's what life is. It's everything is an addiction in a way. Right. And choosing life is maybe more noble, mm -hmm. but... It's, and that's like you have choosing. to make it an addiction to do it successfully. Right. And the, the whole idea behind the Choose Life monologue is because Choose Life was like an ad campaign yeah. that was happening around that time. Yeah. That was like, don't do drugs. Don't belittle yourself like that. You know, choose life. Don't mm -hmm. choose all these things that will that'll kill you or make life not worth living. You know, and it's, it's that basic uh, generalized idea of uh, the world not understanding something. And so automatically saying that that's something that you shouldn't be doing, you mm -hmm. know, like heroin as the big one in train spotting, that is, we get to see its destructive properties, but we also get to see it's, um, we get to see one of the things that addicts, one of the things that most addicts miss the most mm -hmm. when they kick a habit is not necessarily um, whatever the source of the addiction is itself, it's the camaraderie in that addiction. It's mm -hmm. alcoholics. Don't miss, don't miss the alcohol. They miss it's going down to the scene. pub yep. with their friends in this isolated world where the only answer to why doesn't everybody else get it is the next drink. There's a certain way this it's filmed too, in a way, especially in Train Spotting One, where it's like there's such a well, I guess in both films, even though the new one looks modern, but it's uh. Even the way they film the other activities in life is such a separate world from mm -hmm. where their den is right. or like where the little haunts Everything they hang out Everything else is just is. the little tiny yeah. things to lead yeah. to the next hit. It's, it's almost filmed with like this disdain for it, like mm -hmm. which I, everyone can totally, you can understand that like uh, some mornings you look out your window and it's shit. Everything is, all these yeah. things that people are choosing are absurd and makes you angry. Yeah. Or at least, or and that's that monologue, the opening yeah. monologue, that famous monologue yeah. really dives into that. And just like the, uh, the, the, the merchandising, yeah. you know, the capitalizing of just normal life and saying like, it's not about who you are. It's in what you do. It's about what you got. Like, what do you spend your money on? Like, what do you have? What are the, what are the, what are the items mm -hmm. that you attain? that define you. And that's like, that was in 1996. This movie came out three years later, fight club came out and like nailed that point home about, yeah. um, materialism, 
And mm-hmm. the 90s really brought about this second wave of like cultural the materialism. at the end of Fight Club are the same as what they were doing to their lives. Abs- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Complete rejection of anything. That's why that being in, the end the credit world. scenes yeah. behind uh, yeah. the, the ending credits is so that's important because it's about... Yeah. Like, in the 70s, that's when high-rises and stuff, like, were really coming up. And the 70s are known to be this very aggressively materialistic time. It's when all of these ad campaigns started coming out about the best kind of couch, the best kind of suits, the best kind of this type of soda. Like, that's Mm -hmm. when it really started becoming materialistic. And the 90s started reframing that again. You know what I mean? Like, you're always going to sell your product. We're really starting to break into that again. Like, it kind of, right, I mean... It's kind of always been offensive, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm um, pretty much our whole lives anyway. Mm-hmm. But it does take that turn. Anyway, it's yeah. and we're starting to enter yeah, like into that this new is kind of feels like a reaction to that, like just like oh, just completely overwhelmed. The second by one. The first one I meant. The first. But like one. the tone of both of the movies, mm-hmm. really, it's just being completely overwhelmed by these the stimulus of whether it's advertisement or. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Mark even says, uh, you know, he pop, like when he's doing that whole like you need like three buckets, one for piss, one for feces, one for uh, and vomits, preparing and, like, to, all that stuff. Uh, go and he withdrawal. takes yeah. he takes uh, some uh, Valium, yeah, or something some that he mom's... stole from his mom, yeah, yeah, yeah. who, in yeah. her own culturally acceptable way, culturally is also an addict. Acceptable way, yeah, is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's these levels of addiction that, like, everything is something that somebody can be addicted to. Like, you don't even need to look any further past what you're listening to right now, dear listener. Like, yeah. podcasts, social media, articles on things them. that you care about they're, they're, are very yeah. addictive yeah. because they're, they're information. And that's one of the best addictions that you can have, but it is still an addiction. The, the wanting to know more about a certain... Yeah piece of information of certain aspect of the world or even just like uh, gaining knowledge there is an addictive quality to that like once you get hooked on reading books there's some of them are more healthy than others exactly (laughs) yeah yeah, okay yeah you can do that and it's obviously the level of health that comes into what your choice of addiction Mm -hmm. is obviously a big deal but train spotting is really treating all of these things as um different versions of the same yeah you know like uh friendship is an addiction in the original train spotting and that's what the entire ending is about like mark is addicted to heroin through most of the movie and then a little over halfway through he kicks it he actually Mm -hmm. kicks it he's done and he goes and he gets a job it's a shitty job but he starts to like it. he's not good at it or anything but he's he he likes the repetition of it he likes it and he found a new it all place falls to apart. It, think, it all falls say. apart yeah. when his friends yeah. show back up and he can't turn can't his back on his past. friends because can't. he's addicted to yeah. that camaraderie and that friendship. And those friends show well, up, actually, they steal all his I money. I don't know about that. Was he addicted though? Like, he was not psyched when Begbie showed up. No. Just like one. he wouldn't be psyched like, to do heroin again. But, he didn't want to do it. He kicked it. He kicked his friends and he kicked heroin. And then his friends well, show you see, back you up. You do see when they bring to him the whole thing where it's like, we've got a deal. We need your help. And he doesn't That's want to do it. That's the moment. He doesn't want... But he but does. But does he? So ori- originally, he's like, this sucks. I'm just going to deal with it. And it happens to be Begbie, so he has no choice. He, he could have kicked Begbie out down. at any point. That's the nature of Begbie. He could not, though. He could have kicked Begbie out at any point, but Mark <laughs> didn't because Mark's a coward. Okay. Because he true. didn't want to yeah. do that. Yeah. He didn't want to. And then Sick Boy shows up. And all of a sudden, Sick Boy is just like selling his TV and After doing all this crazy stuff. After the death of Tommy. Stuff. 
After so it's like all Tommy. is lost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's just do this. And they're all pulled back. One of the amazing parts of this movie too, which I've always been astounded at, is it's only sixteen grand split four ways. It's not like life changing money. Well, it's what's a, the for them, what's the denomination of like pounds to? Oh, 16, I don't know. It's, it's so, I always pounds. assumed it was. So, oh, it's pounds. It's was pounds. it more than that? It's slightly more, but uh, I don't. I still being, don't think uh, that it's something too intense. Like, also, dude, this is nineteen ninety six. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure. Either way, it wasn't that much money. It wasn't that much money, but to these guys, like that's a decent amount. These guys are low And it's it's just the right amount where it's like, Renton really did do his friends wrong. Yeah. And that's the second one also brings in something great. It, It destroys one of the most heartwarming parts of the end of the first one. The very last scene that we see in Train Spotting mm-hmm. is Spud opening up the very last scene after the credits opening roll. The Spud opens a locker and locker. sees the four thousand yeah. that uh, Mark yeah. left for him. Smiles. Well, what did takes you think it I was and closes it. It. it? And the second one yeah. completely destroys that. What did you think I was yeah. gonna do with four thousand dollars? <laughs> I was a fucking junkie. Uh, yeah. And it's just like it completely destroys the fairy tale of what, what you thought like was a, going on right there. They were a skag head or something. There's yeah. some other term they use. Oh, yeah. skag, yeah. Skag. That's a yeah. great, like, gotta get the skag. Get skag. Also, too, while we're on Spud and Train Spotting too. Yeah, okay. Uh, two things. Well, it's great. actually, I meant it made it seem like uh, it was kind of Begbie's. Obviously, it's a you know, um, group cast and uh, missing the word, but... I was like, well, Begbie was kind of running the show on the second one. It was no. kind of starts out with Begbie, but no, no, led, no, 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 just no. before you start, this is kind of Spud's story. This is Spud's story, one hundred percent. He's the narrator. Yeah, yeah. the way that Mark like was that, the narrator in the first Spud, one. Yeah. Spud is the narrator in this one. We're just not given that right out the bat. We don't. But know we slowly start finding out that it was Spud. Locked. Yeah, and this is also too like another thing that's been coming up in a lot of movies lately. Like, did you see Logan? No. All right. So without giving anything away for our listeners or for you, in Logan, there is a certain level of um, meta storytelling that's brought in where stories and movies and comic books are a way to teach the next generation the rights and the wrongs of the previous. And it's been coming up in movies a lot where they've been using the idea of story as a weapon for certain characters to use to overcome certain obstacles and train spotting 2 is no different spud who is a self-proclaimed super addict mm-hmm. he would never leave heroin because it's the one friend that never left him the way he's finally able to kick it is by telling stories mm-hmm. is by writing down stories and he becomes addicted to that and as somebody who at one point was very addicted to writing mm-hmm. and to the point where like I had to drop it uh, because it was, was really, it was really, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest again, different addictions, health, one's healthy, yeah. one's not. Um, but it was getting like, to the know, point where it was, it was really not worth it for me because one, it wasn't going anywhere. And two, it was really making me, it wasn't just taking time away from experiencing other things. When I was experiencing things, sometimes I would find I wasn't enjoying the you just experience. To write it down. I was just thinking yeah, yeah. about how oh, would yeah. I write this, and it becomes this whole mod podge thing where you have to kind of drop it. And the idea that Spud, who is the most addicted of all of them yeah. to heroin in particular, um, being able to break away from that using story is mm-hmm. fucking awesome. 
Like that's a it's great, great which great thing. is one of my favorite scenes in the movie when they go for the run. Spud, so Renton comes back to town. He walks in on Spud puking himself. Another mm-hmm. little throwback. We to get just a little throwback to the train spotting yeah. one. Uh, but it's a scene later on when Spud's trying to get clean with Renton's help, and they they run to the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. and uh, basically Renton was Spud's like you know I've heard every variation of every mantra or way of looking at this and i just i can't get clean and uh it's and renton essentially lays down another cliche it's essentially the choose life but he says something like you've got to channel it into something else yeah right you're and an spud addict, chooses so he doesn't know if it's spud even tries else. boxing which is the kind of the joke mm-hmm. of it but so spud chooses writing i don't know if it's an addiction but i, I guess in the it's, small story it's it saves his life channel it to like running can be some form of an addiction. And yeah. that's what Mark like channels it into. Yeah. Whether or not it's a metaphor for how the first one ended or not, running is something that people become addicted I to. I love, too, how you see Bagby when he's at the end of the movie. He's in Spud's apartment with all the hanging poetry and all and the stories. And he loves the stories, yeah. And even Begbie, the most just brutish person in the world, is touched <laughs> by mm-hmm. his how good it is and yeah. how good his recollection is. Because he loves are. being reminded so of his stories. you find out in T2, essentially, that Spud is the narrator. I, I mean, he was the narrator of the first one, but you get the whole context of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, in the first one, the way that they talk about like the idea of the legends, like mm-hmm. um, legend being like uh, how friends talk to one another about things that they've done when the other friends weren't around. And I call it a legend because you, you always, everybody lies mm-hmm. and kind of flares up a story a little bit, whether it's from, whether some people it's are perfect. addicted to lying. Well, some people are addicted to lying, <laughs> but everybody, when they're telling a story about something that they did lie in some way, whether it's mm-hmm. on purpose or through omission or through just uh, general, just like like not remembering it correctly. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, there's a lot of scenes where different characters are telling different stories or different versions of the same story. You yep. know, there's a the whole thing. Yep. The biggest scene With in the Tom. first one, Begbie talking about playing pool, and then we hear How Tommy's he version. This guy up, right? Tommy, and who was it? He fucked. Was it Tommy in the first one? He, he, uh, Begbie, like, no, Begbie fucks up this guy that's this like little, opens like, up a bag of guy. chips yeah, yeah, and like eats totally. it. And he like breaks a pool stick across him, and then but like Tommy's Begbie's version like, is heroic. Nah, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And then like anyway, Begbie yep. claims that it's like this thing where this this tough cunt. Oh, the yeah. so-called tough cunt. Yeah. Like he like talks about it like this this thing where he stared this guy down, he walked out, and then he won the game. Yeah. And then Tommy's like, no, Begbie was like playing shit yeah. the whole time. And then it was a it was a I was trying to lose, but I couldn't because every time I try to lose, I just end up getting a ball in. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this guy opens up a bag of chips and he freaks out. Like, and that's it. That's the story. And yeah. they all tell these different versions of stories. Like Sick Boy is one of the biggest ones, which, by the way, Johnny Lee Miller. Mm-hmm. Got this part. He's the only English. He played Ray's character before in the main ones. Yeah, the, no, 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 Spud. Uh, oh, Spud. Um, yeah, you and Brenner yeah. played uh, the Mark uh, Renton yeah, character, the character in yes. the play. Yeah. Um, was that the first production of it? You think? I think so. Actually, yeah. Because yeah. so yeah, I think it was pretty. Yeah, yeah. It, I it maybe, but he ended up playing like a pretty yeah, yeah. big, uh, like a uh, like a sold out yeah, kind of stuff. So he's and, playing Renton. Yeah. Um, Johnny Lee Miller is the only Eng- non-Scott of the main cast. Okay. And Johnny Lee Miller got the part mainly because he had an amazing Scottish, uh, an amazing um, 
uh, Sean Connery impersonation. Oh my god! And are you ready for this? I got yep. two awesome little bits yep. of trivia that I found. Hit me. Johnny Lee Miller is the grandson of Bernard Hill. Who's the Who's Bernard Hill? Bernard Hill played M in the original Sean Connery James Bond movies, and okay. then some more. And Johnny Lee Miller talked in a Scottish accent throughout the entire thing to the point where the actors that he was working with didn't know that that's not that how he would. talked. Yeah, yeah. He talked, even behind the scenes and everything, he always talked like that, never broke character until the after the rap party. And all of a sudden, he just started talking like himself. And everybody's <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, they didn't know. What does he say? That's that's brilliant. There's like little tiny no, things about he's that like movie that I find Rhett very cute. Like I find that up. very charming yeah. too. Like that idea of you know, like finding out like how they get the dog to do that when you when uh, Renton shot the dog. Like, did they actually shoot a dog and get the dog to attack like that? No, they had a dog that was on command would attack somebody, and Danny Boyle is literally right off the camera just beyond the camera's frame and just yells at the dog and freaks it out and gets the dog to freak out because they're on a very small budget mm-hmm. um apparently they tried to get the mission impossible uh theme song to play over that bb gun uh oh. scene but brian de palma was making the new tom cruise mission impossible right at that same point mm-hmm. and so when they asked how much would it cost to get the licensing rights to use that song in the scene they found out that it would cost so much that it was three times what the film's budget actually was. Oh my god! It was the movie was made that. for so little. Yeah, and that was it would be so expensive to license that uh, that one particular Mission Impossible song that it was just like, oh nope, that's not good. That's not, not gonna work. happening. <laughs> but okay. I digress oh, from so, my from yeah. my trivia. What are you looking at? I, the cunt stole sixteen thousand pounds from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sick boy uh, in his accent yeah sick boy is a great little character from that first one and the second one John Lee Miller like really hones that in too and it really like the second one really becomes too like if we can solidify down the second okay. one right? like do you have anything else to add about, about the first one before we like start like kind of digging into the second one a little bit more oh I don't know just I don't know if we finished that uh, just the destructive power of the simple uh, almost innocence of stealing the tape from Tommy, the uh, tape of him and his girlfriend, I, and how it's the catalyst of the entire movie. Really? Uh, it's as sad as it is hilarious. Um, there was something, well, we'll come back to the first one if we need to. All right. Yeah, I mean... Well, there's something that I wanted to talk about with the second one that I've been saving until we got good and liquored up. Good and, and liquored up. And you look up. like you're good and liquored up. I think I I'm pretty glazed over pretty at this point. Up. Yeah. Let's talk about... The music scene, <laughs> okay, in the second one, when they go to the, um, uh, what is it, the Presbyterians? Oh my good God, yes! So they, <laughs> so it's, it's right <laughs> after Renton. So yeah, so context. <laughs> you look so adorable right now. You're so excited <laughs> to talk about this. All right, it was one of those scenes too, where it's like at first because it's Danny Boyle and it seems so random and. Uh, I don't know how to put it, but it's like, like I said before, once you accept that ride, you're in for it and it's great. But there's a whole music scene, in the, a live performed scene in front of a bunch of, um, so what was it? It was right after Ren comes back, reveals he's lied about who he was. He does no kids. 
He has a terrible life. He's just lost his job. And it's the first time he agrees, essentially, to be back with Sick Boy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what would you call it? Debauchery, I guess. He's really got no options. And he's back and he's like... They gotta go commit some crimes and make some money. And and it's like... Anyway, so they go to a a church. I don't know the history behind it, so I'm going to sound like a fool. But essentially, they start stealing credit cards out of the wallets of the people at this big party at a bar, whereas uh, Protestants. So essentially, the Protestants, history in Scotland. Right. In I Scotland, like Protestants. I was like, that's no, not no Protestants. It was. So Protestants, the Pro- there is a right, conflict right. between the Protestants and the Catholics in Scotland, and there's this faction of people who apparently, to this day, are bitter about it. So they go up on stage. As there so are they in go most up on countries. stage to we'll finally get there. After First world country. So. Yeah. So they steal all these credit cards. They're stopped at the door, and they have to. The guy kind of fucks with them, and he's like, "Oh, if you're uh, if you belong here, go ahead on stage and perform a number." And it's beautiful, uncomfortable, and hilarious. It works out so good yeah. so on they, so many levels. Get, they get up there, and they're like, "They're they're done. They're mm-hmm. done. Like they're gonna they're gonna fucking die. Like they're gonna yeah. get killed doing this." And Sick then boy sits at the piano. It just works out. Yeah. And both times that I saw the movie, you know, we saw. So it, they sing a, very, a song that's disparaging to the crowd. Catholics and slowly win favor over. They win favor, and like, like everybody in the audience was cracking yeah. up during that. Like every, totally like spoiler. it's it's yeah. it's gangbusters yeah. for an audience like that's into these characters and understands these characters, and it's a really great moment where Mark and Simon. Sick boy. Mm-hmm. Sick boy. That's another great thing about the second one is they call them all by their actual names. Oh, I didn't notice that actually. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why I'm coming into this podcast and you try and introduce me. I'm like, my name's Tim Kelly, but like these characters, right down to their names, are brilliant. Everybody calls Brett and Mark. Yeah. Everybody calls Sick Boy really? Simon. There's no. Everybody much... calls Begbie Francis. Francis. And, that's right. I didn't and, notice that. Yeah, um, yeah. Spud's name. I think it's Brian. Or uh, it's something like that. Like people yeah. call it a, a couple different things because hmm. now that they're older, they're in all these different situations where they're being called their actual names. Mm-hmm. And Veronica at the end calls Spud his first name. I want to say it's Brian. Maybe that's a. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like Brian, or it's like some regular mm-hmm. doofus name like that. Okay. Brian. Yeah. Daniel, I mean, another Tim, great little Tim. something like that. Like, like that? regular yeah. fucking names. Michael. Who the fuck is Michael? <laughs> but and um it's a really good turning point where uh we get to see Mark and Simon be the the childhood friends that they were. Well that's one of the they the get great to connect too where they're... it's like it feeds back into the whole choose life theme and how these people are like <laughs> the worst kind of addicts. Mm-hmm. And when they're Reliving their nostalgia and their past glory to Veronica, it is right. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, and she's just you? like, they're going nuts about. It. That's it's such a hilarious juxtaposition because these are two people, at least to our knowledge, and having watched the movies, are sort of in the category of being rejectors of life. Yes, and they're so excited. They're so excited about, about the past, all the soccer, and all they can talk about football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as I should say. But, like, it's all they could talk about to a disturbing point to right. Veronica. But you see the joy. And we've all been there the on both like, sides. Like, yeah. we've all been there in a situation where we're talking with somebody that we haven't seen for a long time mm-hmm. that we're super close with. And you're just going back and forth mm-hmm. about all these great things and talking at 
somebody else. Yeah. And that person just is just like spectator. in awe of uh, distaste <laughs> or wonder, depending on what you're talking about, of just like the camaraderie that yeah. the two of you have. And we've all also been in the situation where we've been that one person that's yeah. getting talked at by yeah. two people that are just so close. You know, like, and, oh, and yeah. she's just, and I love them too. Like, she's just like, you two should just like fuck just each other. Like, fuck. just fuck each other just, already. Like, this yeah. is ridiculous. <laughs> and I love too how like their their story ends with them just sitting on a couch. Sick boys and rentons? Chilling out. Similarly to how they're watching the video. Very much It ends so. that yeah, way, but when they reconnect, it... One of the last things that we see of them is, uh, you know, we eventually do really, get to, we eventually see Renton get because he's the main character yeah. at the end of the day, and we get to see him finally close everything off at the end of the second one in the room that we all remember with the trains. Oh, on the wall. Is, of course. Yeah, but yeah, before which... that, he's talking with um, uh, Simon Sickboy on a couch in Sickboy's apartment. Um, and he's talking about like Spud's been writing stories. And he's like stories, yeah. like who's yeah. gonna read it? And he's like, that's the point, fucking nobody. Yeah. And then it cuts <laughs> over to actually, uh, Spud gave it to the one person that he wanted to read the stories more than anybody else, and that's his love, the the, the mother oh, of his child. Of yeah. That he wants to get back but never knew how. And the stories are kind of his way of showing to her that I'm I'm off of it. I'm mm-hmm. off the skag and yeah. and this is what it is and then she comes up she's like I've got a good idea for a name. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we go to yeah. Renton going into his old childhood room yeah and then and finally facing the music out, which yeah. is and then finding then this kind of Iggy. instead of running to tackle the addiction that he has and running from life or anything like that instead of running he and I and this is something that I haven't seen anywhere else. I've talked to a bunch of other people that have mm-hmm. uh, seen it, and none, nobody else got this. But I got this on the second time that I watched. That he it. wasn't running at the end, or what? That he wasn't running at the end. He that was, he found. He went back into the pose and he leaned back. In, that he in found his room. a new thing that was just like that hit. Yeah. He drops the needle, and the music starts. And he drops his jacket. At least And then it starts flashing yeah, yeah. him doing the same bodily movements yeah. as that classic scene from the beginning yeah. where he does heroin and just drops down. Yeah. And instead of dropping down, he just keeps flings dancing. forward and yeah, dancing. Yeah, yeah. Keeps dancing. And he's dancing as time goes on and on yeah. down the line. And there's nothing else but that room at that yep. time. And he's getting And some... I think that that's, he finds that music at the end of the day and I think that might be kind of a meta commentary from Danny Boyle because Danny Boyle is very musically driven Mm -hmm. in a lot of his stuff like you know 127 hours one of the most greatest things about that movie that he made James Franco where he plays uh, the dude that got his arm stuck between a rock one of the best movies made in the 21st century and I say that like all the time so there's like there's a lot of those though there's some really good movies that have been coming out and and, uh, but the music cues in that and even like The Beach you know, and other Danny like like other Danny Boyle movies that have this like um, culturally entertaining, electric, aggressive fixation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the music is always, always intense in and upfront. It it, yeah. it seems to permeate the screen and, yeah. the, and the visuals a little bit more than normal. You know, like yeah. that, and that's one of those things that made movies like Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and Train Spotting 
so memorable from the from that period is because they used music in a way that music really wasn't being used so aggressively mm-hmm. and just being able to like set a tone by using using a rolling stones song or oh it's done beautifully yeah, yeah especially like you were Harry saying the, song like the, it's just like they make wow, that just really sets the, a tone the end and the outro and that great another danny boyle move where at first you're like oh I'm slightly confused by this, but actually, oh my God, this is beautiful the way it pans out from... Uh, it really is a good ending. And the same with the intro during, like, I was locked into that movie just from that opening riff on T2, mm-hmm. on Transponding 2. Uh, yeah, it's actually... It's, you know, really, so it's like to close this off, like, like to start, like, getting towards the end out. of this. Yeah. yeah. Let, like, I wanted to talk about that ending... In Trainspotting 2. Okay. Uh, with like the final showdown when like Begbie shows up mm-hmm. and they, you know, mar- uh, Mark's in like, he hides in that mirror bathroom. Yep. And stuff. He and describes there's... a scene to him. He, Mark is a, he's caught. <laughs> he's boxed. He's in. caught, yeah. He describes a scene to Begbie when he first met him. When he when first he met him and he, Francis, try, he tries to appeal Francis to Begbie. And fr- Begbie was a couple grades up. He had been left He tries back, to appeal to Francis. Says, yes. Yeah. And this is his last hope. And he thinks that that's something that would save him, but it actually ends up becoming a point of uh, like super aggravation, anger to just. Begbie because he realizes he's like, he's like, I was just like, what, what were, what was, what am I supposed to do? Somebody that you know has to like fight with his fists, and like somebody yeah. who never was that smart. Like you guys are that cunning. Yeah, I've got. All I've he's, got is my fist. He's and like, that's all I got is that. Yeah. And, and that, that plays yeah. into his over... And it's very easy, like before you said, like it's Begbie's story, because it's very easy to uh, think that because a lot of the really awesome moments in the, in the second one are about Begbie reconnecting with his son yep. and wanting to uh, be a better father than his father was. And we realize that in that big twist, that big like uh, reveal that we find out that when they were younger, Begbie, Mark and Spud all went down into uh, an old abandoned train station mm-hmm. and found this like wino drunk, uh, homeless dude. Yeah. Just like running around. And well, I actually realized that on the second one, I don't know Spud's if you realize narration, it, right? that guy's played by Robert Carlyle. Oh, this actually happened in the first one. No, 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 no. In the second one, yeah. The wino yeah. in that flashback oh, that we see oh, is played by Robert flashback. Carlyle. Okay, yes. It is him, like, in makeup and, like, big beard and stuff <laughs> like that. And he goes, what are you boys doing? Train spotting? <laughs> and oh. I don't know really how much I care for bringing up, like, the name train Making spotting. Making it that obvious for you? Yeah, Just like, laying it uh, on Urban a Welsh for you? has come out and said, like, <laughs> why he called it train spotting. That was spotting. not an Urban Welsh idea, then. Well, no, the way the reason that Irvin Welsh probably, called yeah. the first one train spotting was because it was supposed to be this idea of a thing that if you do it, you get it. And everybody else that doesn't do it doesn't get it. And train spotting is like, you know, just sitting at a train station and watching the trains go by. And some people think that that's a waste of time yeah. and they just don't understand it. But the people that do it, they totally get it. And there's a, there's again, like that camaraderie. It's funny you say that. I kind of feel that way. Like, uh, I think I saw a poster for it, like freshman year of college in one of my friend's room, uh, dorm rooms. Hadn't seen it, watched it. Didn't make a huge impact besides like, 
uh, you know, the cliche, oh, that's a drug movie. Yeah. And, like, there's a baby on the ceiling. And, you know, I, I was amused by it. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so I'm losing myself again. But uh, <laughs> we've It'll gone happen. to the end. It'll happen. Um, so you were saying about Carlisle played the character of his father who actually speaks the reason for the name he says train spotting are you guys train spotting yeah you know i don't think it's really what i meant to say was before like and when i was saying about the way people certain people or everyone depending on the mood you're in looks at the world is essentially train spotting sometimes like you're doing it you're loving life you're choosing life and sometimes you're so distant from it yeah so now like yeah uh, but exactly and also like i to go back to the name i've never understood it until like but on some level i have you know i'm mm-hmm. not like i question it like oh what, yeah, what's the meaning of that odd, like train spot yeah you know uh before i learned that i, I always just, thought it really like, had something like, to do with subconsciously tracks understand it and like so track marks and stuff it. like that's, that's like i thought maybe that's what they were yeah. doing and like there's there's you know trains on the wallpaper in there's mark's room the wall, yes. and they they're at a train station when they go to like try and go yep. on a on a country There's walk. There's the beautiful and they train scene he's yeah they've always got twenty four and T two and he's like yeah yeah so okay you actually you want to know something really funny yeah let's hear it. Uh, they tried to get an Oasis song okay. in on the first one and uh, the leader of Oasis said no because he didn't want his Music song to associated be... with that world. He yep. didn't want it associated with train spotting. With the name train spotting? No, like with oh, the, the idea of people watching trains. Because he didn't what? know what the movie was about. <laughs> and then <Whoops. laughs> and then the band Oasis <laughs> actually showed up at the <laughs> premiere of Train Spotting because the advertising was so big and it became such a big thing. And Danny Boyle always said like that was like a super funny thing to him that these yeah. guys turned him down for music, but they were and actually at the up. premiere because it was such a popular yeah. movie. Uh but the um, the idea of Begbie wanting to be a better father to his son than his father was to him yeah. comes into play when he finally goes over and he when he goes over before he's like I'm gonna go do something he's right now. He's planning on killing Mark. He's planning on killing and he's Mark. He's like I'm going to jail at best. Yeah, at yeah. best, or yeah. I might die doing yeah. this. He's like either way. But now I, I wanted your you lifestyle. to know it's like yeah, yeah. you can do what you want to do, and I'm proud of you. Yeah. In his own Begbie way, that's kind of what he's saying. Yeah. And that really is like a very sweet subplot in this movie. Yeah. And I love how the things that happen in Begbie's subplot do not really affect how he reacts when he's in front of Mark because he has had like 21 years Mark. to just pine yeah, yeah. on how much he hates Mark. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets right back in there, he's like, I'm just going to fucking blow you guys away. <laughs> like it doesn't even, every, all the altruism that he's gone through. In talking to his son and the steps he's taken to becoming a better person and a better father yep. just go out the fucking window yeah. when he gets in the same room as Mark. And I think that that's really, that really holds true to Begbie's character and his addiction. Kind of like just... I've come around to before I was saying, like, I fu- like after sitting with it and seeing it a couple times, you really, you see Mark through Begbie's eyes. He's a cunt face or whatever. He yeah, he's, he's a weasel. And he deserves he's just to a die. Weasel, and yeah. Begbie's life mission is to, once he realizes he shows back up on, on the scene, is to murder that person. Yeah. No ifs, ands, or buts. <laughs> it's a really... It, the, so the, at the first sequel, you're like, oh, that's a lot to swallow. Aren't they friends? Yeah. And you're like, no, no. Train, train Spotting 2 has no right to be as good as it actually is. And I think that... 
why it's so good is because it doesn't really try too hard. And I a lot of people that I've talked to I that have also seen it too. I can see if you were watching a movie, if you're a critic being like, oh, they tried way too hard. But I didn't get yeah, that sense no. either. I yeah, think yeah. anybody that un- that really gets what movies are about and understands the platform of what a sequel is supposed to do, not what a sequel normally wants to do or tends to do or mm-hmm. ends up doing, which is trying to up the ante from the first one. And, yeah. you know, like uh, the, the, the sequel uh, novel, Porno, that this yep. is lightly based off of, that's got... Um, that's got them, the main characters, like trying to make a porno, like yeah. as a scheme to like attempt to make There's a porno a for something like that, and that they end up going the, yeah, to like yeah. the, the the Cannes Film Festival yeah. for like adult entertainment, yeah. and it's this whole like scheme, like this Ocean's Eleven thing, and you're just like, that just seems really fucking weird. Yeah, and they don't do that, and instead they kind of just focus on. There's no real. Uh, it's a more there's real no, world yeah, thing. There, like, there's no real engagement together. with these characters as far as like bringing the band back together. It's Mark comes back uh, to Edinburgh and um, and, and uh, Sick Boy's still there and Spud's still there. Yeah. And just around that same time, um, Begbie breaks out of jail and it's, you know, coincidental, but also at the same time, yeah, you need a movie. You I need some have certain coincidences to, to happen to have yeah. a movie happen. I kind of have that sense to hate sequels and like be really, especially if it's something you lo- you love. But I mean, it's, again, I've always seen it once, but I was I was happy with it. Yeah, you know? it's, it's and the I didn't perfect think it was example. Overdone, and I think you sign up for that ride again. Yeah. Like hey, no, after, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Boyle, yeah. I think they did it justice. It's that kind it, of like, sequel where they wanted to make it. And it didn't really need to get made, it, even though it know, ends on such a like, like the, like the first one yeah. ends on such an open ending. Yeah, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, what's gonna happen? Like we don't even really know yeah. what the like, the fallback from all that is. And the second one really just it, it doesn't answer any of the questions that you really still have. Besides, like, where's Mark going? Like we find out he just went to Amsterdam and he fell in love and. And his relationship just ended up falling apart because it's less grandiose than you respect because you like you, you build them up in your mind like this is a great story, and it's almost amazingly depressing where you find them. It's like oh well that makes sense. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's very astounding that none of them are dead. There was another point in the movie but too. At the uh, same time, yeah. only one of them has been addicted to heroin the entire time. And that's Spud. Yeah. Spud gave up heroin for a while, but then ended up turning back to it. And Mark's yeah. been off. Uh, Sick Boy's been off. Begbie was never addicted, and he's he's just in uh, in in prison. They're like the survivors, and right. they're still going along. Yeah, it's Mark's a very seems... natural place that we find them all. And I think that with a little bit of with uh, a couple coincidences, withstanding how they all get back together is pretty believable. Yeah. You know, like the timing of it all being 21 years and having it all just line up right there 21 years later at the same time is a little coincidental, but not enough to really kind of blow the seams off realistic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, I like, I remember watching it only probably a couple times. And I think this was before I heard it that there was going to be a sequel. You just kind of get the feeling from that character oh, he can never go back. It yeah. seemed more extreme in, in hindsight, like looking at it, like I was saying before, it's only 16,000 pounds or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Like, But uh, 
one other thing I want to mention on off of that is the scene when Mark comes home to Sick Boy's bar to uh, what's Sick Boy's real name again? Simon. Simon's. <laughs> Apparently, they're calling him Simon. Uh, hey, Mark. And then he comes back to the bar, and they have, he they tell them about their lives. Hilarious. Sick Boy ends up at the perfect moment beating the shit out of Mark, and they have this epic fight. But that was another moment in the it's movie, too. It's a great too. scene, too. That's Brilliant so good. scene. Uh, he, like, breaks the pool stick over him. Yeah. Like, like, four times. Like, yeah. the pool stick just keeps it's breaking. Another, throwing back to it, it's just... this. It's got everything. There's a great fight scene. There's everything in this. Um, really, what I was leading to is you... The moment when you realize, so you go a third, maybe half of the movie without realizing Mark's lying about what his right. wife is. Because yep. why is the sick boy when he comes back and says he's got a wife, a family, totally job. true to Mark's character. And then when you when it happens to you in the theater, you're like, what? You know, it's like almost another Boyle movie. Like you just have to recover from it as kind of sick boy. Absolutely. Another great moment with anybody, somehow in some sick way. Anybody that has ever yep. known somebody with an addiction that they yep. haven't seen for a while and then they yep. come back knows about the idea of them lying about how good yeah, everything how is. how it actually is. And they're just... That, that's, and they bring that full circle when Sick Boy, when Renton says he essentially broke up with his wife because he couldn't get her pregnant. It was a problem. Sick Boy is like, is it, well, you having trouble getting her pregnant? He's like, well, fuck you. It doesn't matter. He's like, yeah, I am. And then Renton says, does that make you, does that bring you satisfaction? He's like, a well, yeah, bit. yeah, a little yeah, bit. A little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. like, like they're best suck. friends, yeah. but yeah, they're yeah, also yeah. kind of like, uh, clutches for, like they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're foils for each other. Like they, they have fucked it. Like, and they're finally on an even yeah. playing field again. You come in Very the movie much. thinking Mark's like coming home as this, G or whatever you want yeah, to call and, it, and, and you realize he's the same as he's yeah, ever and, been. And Simon, he's no better than Simon. Begbie. Simon no thinks that he can. Boy. Simon thinks that he can. Like he does this whole speech to Veronica. He's like, I'm gonna hurt him. I'm that threw me off a little. In the second one, wasn't psyched about it's, that. It's Sick Boy's stupid brain yeah. thinking that he's in charge and smarter than everybody yeah. else. When Veronica's just like sitting there, just like, uh huh. Yeah, but, sure, dude. Like, and of course you realize he's, he's trying vulnerable to make this dramatic thing about it, but he's actually very excited Renton. to see him again. Yeah, yeah he's excited. That's why yeah. he's just sitting there doing cocaine when he yeah. finally wakes up from the yeah. pool table. Like, he didn't kill him. He didn't. He didn't call somebody to take care of him or yeah. anything like that. He was just like, "I beat the shit out of you. I beat you in a fight. Wake up, and we'll deal with this." Yeah. You know, and he's just. He, it goes more into the relationship between these two friends, which I think is one of the most beautiful relationships in yeah. film. Uh, you know, yeah. in the first one, it wasn't really hammered home how close of friends these guys were. And it's in T2, Judgment Day, Transpotting, <laughs> Judgment Day. We realize that Simon and, through Spud's own words, we find yeah. out that Simon and Mark were like this, fingers crossed. You always kind of knew it, but until the You always kind of knew it. Like, you oh, figured that they were that, the closest because they them. were the ones that were always yeah, hanging yeah, yeah. out together. Yeah. And Spud and Begbie were just kind of like these friends that they had in the group. And uh, that's what makes it so sweet at the end of uh, Transpotting 2 is that it's just them They've hanging out on the couch fucked. just bullshitting yeah. about <laughs> stuff. They've gotten over away. everything. It doesn't yeah. matter. Their plan did not work. Sick Boy still just got this stupid bar. Yeah. And Mark's still got nothing. And his wife's nothing. leaving him. And they're just like hanging out together. And it's like, yeah, well, whatever. We'll just do that. They're comfortable with that. Yep. Well, Tim. Well, I want to ask you one thing before we wrap it up. All right. So this has been a pretty pro train spotting train spotting two podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, 
what didn't you like about it? About Is there anything? Too? I mean, you kind of said you weren't psyched about the Choose Life thing. Well, and again, like, though, that's my own personal uh, take on it. Where yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, you could have worked it in there a little bit better. But I'm never above the the filmmakers or the creators or the writers. Like, yeah, it's, exactly. They chose that's to do it like that. That's what I keep coming back to. Is like there's moments where uh, you're kind of thrown and. Not an uncomfortable place, but you're yeah. like, really? What? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you watch it another time, or it's just. It's something it's a that will eventually. Thing. When people have problems with movies, uh, like people generally like they place. like a movie, but they have these certain problems with it that like kind of like stand out to them. The Force Awakens is like a really big example of this because okay. everybody saw The Force Awakens and yep. everybody's got their own little problems with The Force Awakens because it is by far built into the not idea a perfect movie. In the, in the there are place. little tiny yeah. things sprinkled all throughout The Force Awakens that make it like ugh, like a little jarring. But, a similar problem with Trainspotting, actually. The nostalgia. It's like, you're going to make a sequel. Right. And but they point that nostalgia out very clearly back in to it. the first one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Even go in dialogue, ahead. they yeah, point yeah. that out. Like, with the whole... They're consciously making Yeah, when decision. they go and visit Tommy's yeah, yeah. Uh, grave. Like, yeah. they point out, like, you're here for nostalgia, you fucking idiot. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying so hard. I'm not getting it. Exactly. He does that, and they point so that out. <laughs> but what I was getting at yeah. is, in some movies, there are always... Sometimes... Not always. Sometimes yep. there are scenes or moments that start to degrade how well you take the movie in or how well you remember the movie. And these are moments, and I always, and this is just my own personal mantra mm -hmm. of watching movies. If there's, a, if there's a couple little moments sprinkled throughout a movie that you generally like, and there's a couple moments sprinkled throughout that that like yeah yeah I wasn't I wasn't 100% on board you with that. Your sensibilities uh, in some way. First off, you have to remember that if you like the movie as a whole, yeah, the filmmakers did their job. And if there's little tiny moments in there that didn't click for you, changing those moments might have changed other moments that you really do like that made the movie for you. From a writer's point of view, yeah. if they had changed something there, whatever emotion that they had in there that you didn't like, they would have moved it somewhere else and it might have ruined a really good scene that was perfect. And at the same time as well, eventually over time, those little moments that you don't like, they'll always be there as reminders of things that you didn't like about it, but eventually they'll become... Um, cohesive with the rest of the movie and they'll just yeah. become a part of the movie and you might learn to go like actually you know what that's not that bad you gotta hear it and see it a couple times right yeah you like it's there's, so, there's it's, it's one like thing to watch a movie the yeah. first time and get shocked by something that you don't Especially like a it's not to watch it over and over like, again and realize uh, like, like this oh, is actually, weird I, I need to digest this it's yeah. like in your little flags go up inside you mm -hmm. it's particularly in a sequel and I don't know, that happened for me a couple times, but like you were kind of just saying. What did you I not got, like in Train Spotting too? Like what like the little like you asked. There me, were like, moments the within things. my experience watching it I didn't like, but I guess I came to the same conclusion you just described when I sat with it and we're like we wrote rode home and all that. And then this is one of those movies, both of them. You can't watch really either one of them. I guess it's in some level the mark of a good movie. It sits with you for one, two days. Like you're recalling it throughout the next couple of days. Where you're yeah, like, the it's, second it, one really has that on power you. too. Yeah, yeah. It really does. Yeah. You keep thinking about it, and you're like, "Wow, that was actually really yeah. good." That movie had yeah. a lot to say. 
Uh, it built. Yeah. It built yeah. on everything that the first one put down. I mean, I guess uh, I guess if, to answer your question a little, the, if I had, I've only seen it once, but going back, the scene at the end, and just how, I don't know, it almost seems like the a scene at the end of Captain America, where there's there's this hilarious fight to flip some lever or something like that. The way that Be- Begbie tried to kill Renton, it was like. Do we need to go this far? Mm-hmm. But I don't, like you said, I'll, I'll have to see it again. It was the I, only honestly, thing the that second time I, saw I was, was just way so better. happy to be in that world and ju- so just you know, mm-hmm. it went one by a flash. It was a great oh, let's movie. go see it again, actually. Yeah, let's uh, do it again. again. Yes, yeah. Tim. Cheers. It's good to have you, man. Thanks Thank for you having so me. much. Yeah, a little sippy set. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, he's like. Oh, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope that you have seen Train Spotting 2 before you listen to this. Otherwise, we just ruined a lot of the, like, the best parts of it. Go ahead and watch them both. Again. But just go and watch it anyway. And yeah. uh, definitely With rewatch Train Spotting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, 127 Hours is also really good by Danny yeah. Boyle. 28 Days Later is great. And 28 Weeks Later is a sequel that's got Robert Carlyle in it in one of his, Ooh. like, in a very underrated performance i wouldn't say it's yeah. one of his best but it's an underrated one it's pretty cool so if you're not check gonna go watch train spotting one or two just go check out yeah some get, some zombies. get some zombies get some zombies yeah some, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> get some carlisle in your life did you enjoy doing this tim i sure did you want to do another one yeah we'll do uh, it again. all right man we'll figure out a good yeah, movie to do we sure will. all right thank you so all much right. for listening Take i'm care. mike birds goodbye i am tim goodbye bye bye Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a fucking big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin can openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suit on hire purchased in a range of fucking fabrics. Choose... DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked-up brats you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs needs reasons reasons when when you've you've got got fucking fucking heroin? heroin?